Hey, this is Jason Graves, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I am your host, Sam Hughes, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Jason Graves. Thanks for coming on the show, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great, Sam. How are you? Awesome. Thank you very much. Doing very, very well. Now, you've been incredibly busy recently, haven't you? Yeah, that kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's been so much. I mean, you had Man of Medan, and I'm assuming there's the Dark Pictures Little Hope coming soon as well that we'll be hearing your work on. Yes, I know. You know, it's funny. I saw that on, what, Internet Movie Database, I think, and I thought, oh, well, okay, I guess they're they're saying that I'm doing the music now. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's all wrapped up, and it was super, super, super fun to work on that. I actually, if you want a little bit of inside information that Ooh, no one always. else knows, and I'm sure I can mention this, but we've got um, a featured vocalist on this score, and it's my 15-year-old daughter. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's amazing for her. Yeah, she's got a very interesting voice. She's a, a beautiful alto, and she's been singing for five or six years now, and I've just been looking for the right thing to get her on. And we've got some really cool uh, featured vocal lines and melodies and things she sings. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've obviously built up a, a really nice relationship with Supermassive since Until Dawn. Oh, those guys are so great. Yeah, Barney Barney Pratt is the audio director, and... You know, the, Until Dawn was sort of a breakout hit for them, and, and they've been expanding and getting bigger and more ambitious, but I always work with Barney. And actually now, over there at Supermassive, Thomas, who was an assistant for me for about a year here in the States, is working with them doing music implementation. He had to, he had to move back home because Oh, of, no way. Yeah, well, you know, with Trump and the whole immigrants and all oh, that stuff, he okay. couldn't stay, unfortunately. But uh, he's working at Supermassive, and no one knows my music better than he does because he was with me literally for more than a year. Yeah, of course. Through all kinds of trials and tribulations and helped me on some writing detail and also lots and lots of music editing. So he was one of the first people I suggested when they were kind of opening up their music department because, well, there's just a lot that needs to be done. It's yeah. not the kind of thing... Like Until Dawn, where, I mean, we spent three years, I think, on the whole thing. They're, they're looking to turn things around a little quicker now with this anthology, which is very cool. Yeah, that, what a perfect combo then. Like, oh, you need a music editor. Well, mine's free. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Like, uh, he's got a year of experience and training. Um, I think he'd probably be perfect for the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's going to be doing and implementing like most of your work anyway, so it's perfect. Exactly. Now, suffice to say... Although you write music across many mediums and many genres, it can be said you tend towards a lot of horror, right? I think due to fate, uh, a dual, dual ended fate, uh, number one being my history in games, starting with Dead Space, which was yep. another sort of breakout hit, and then the just pure coincidence of my last name um <laughs> mr grace <laughs> which which i was surprised i know i was surprised to find out after dead space came out that a lot of people assumed it was a stage name because of the scary music i guess and yeah it was like no i've i mean i've had that name forever it's a family name yeah definitely and then tomb raider of course and they're like oh so this is a thing you you like dark music or dark games yeah. or games with dead or tomb in them. It's like, nope, that's just the projects that, you know, that, that came around. Um, <laughs> so as a result of that, yeah, I think horror is sort of my touchstone. But uh, going all the way back, even when I was in L.A. doing 
TV and, and film music, uh, my agent at the time chided me for my demo reel because you're supposed to put, you know, your the pieces you're most proud of on it. And I had all kinds of, you know, there was like a 70s funk thing and then there was a big band thing and then there was an orchestra thing. And, and she was saying, she was saying, I can't, I can't market you because you're doing too many styles. You know, what do you really love to do? And I was like, well, I love to do different things. I'm kind of a drummer. So anything outside of drums is just me learning how to do things. And I really love learning. So I do love horror because you can do so many things wrong and they sound great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I also love learning new things. You know, how, can I learn to play a new instrument? Can I learn some new harmony? Can I learn new techniques for implementing the music in the game? So that's really the driving force for me behind the, the projects that I choose to move forward with is are they inspiring to me creatively and are they, they going to allow me to learn new things? Awesome. But do you find that a lot of people approach you for horror just because of your history? I think there's a default knee-jerk reaction to, you know, trusting something that's worked before. It, yeah. it, it's hard in the industry that we're in. It's not like, um, to me, it's sort of like if, if you have a carpenter come over and build you a table and you're like, well, I mean, you know, I, I need a bookcase too. Can you do something like that? Well, yeah, he's he's a good carpenter, so he could build a bookcase or a table or a chair or, you know, kind of whatever you need. But yeah. people don't really see music that way a lot of times. They're like, oh, that's the horror composer. Oh, that's the guy that does the, like, the band-type music. Oh, that's like yeah. the DJ-style cool composer. And I think it's easy for people to just, you know, sort of assume that's what they like to do because that's what they're known for. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not saying there's right or wrong or anyone's to blame. I think it's just human nature. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm curious to your thoughts on that, actually, because a lot of the time, uh, new composers and composers in general get told a lot to find their niche, right? So I think that's misinterpreted quite a lot or sometimes um, misinformation because finding your niche is not just about finding the only style you're good at or finding a style that you focus on surely i agree there was i mean geez i've been doing this i've been in games what since for about 20 years now and then i wrote music for about five years before that and in games especially it was it was difficult to sort of nail down quote unquote my voice mm. especially in the beginning i was just taking whatever work i could get so I started doing uh, like this Joan of Arc game and then these kind of World War II games like with submarines and with airplanes and strategy and that was sort of a thing for a while. Yeah. And I guess because you know people would see that on my website or something I did the music for this World War II game and they're doing a World War II game so hey, well, I enjoyed playing that game. I remember that music. Maybe we could get him for this game. It's it's hard to classify your sound or your voice early on i think yeah um it really only I w it, 10 maybe 12 years into my career i think when i finally had finished the first dead space game and had time away from it you know six or eight months and then the game finally came out i realized that a big part of my sound or the way that i write music regardless of the style is is rhythm right because yeah. i'm a drummer I always think about rhythm, and I'm never thinking of a melody. I'm always thinking of a chord progression and a rhythm, because that's just that's where I naturally sit. I'm behind the drum kit. I got the bass player and the keyboard player, and then you know all the all the stars of the show are up front doing their own thing. I'm kind of jamming with the band. Nice. So that's how I started.
start everything. And even even Dead Space, especially Dead Space, because I didn't want to have any melody or straight-ahead rhythms and, heaven forbid, any sort of tonal harmony. So really, all that I was left with was you know, non-straight rhythms, just bouncing stuff all over the place and having these crazy time signatures and crazy clusters and, you know, just throw the music book out the window. Yeah, yeah. But that's, I realized, you know, after basically 20 years of doing it and maybe 15 years um, in games that that is my thing. I'm a, I'm a drummer or a percussionist or whatever you want to call it. And whether I'm playing guitar or ukulele or accordion or conducting an orchestra... I'm approaching it from a rhythmic standpoint. So you say you're a drummer. Did that start as like your profession and then you developed into composition or did you always know you wanted to go into composition? Well, first of all, I have to give credit to my parents who are incredible and very much. uh, My mom was a stay at home mom. My dad was in the Air Force for a while. He loved flying. But the Vietnam War came around and he had a new son and he literally grounded himself like in the motor pool for the last year and a half or two years of his service so that he wouldn't go to Vietnam and, you know, probably get killed. Yeah. Um, And he came home and ended up doing like, you know, IBM working for computers and kind of he had to do the grind, basically. But he left what he loved doing. He loved flying. And I'm only mentioning this because I think... I think parents retrospectively look to their kids and try to make sure their kids don't go through some of the same hardships that they had. Oh, yeah, for sure. And my dad grew up at an airport. You know, my grandfather owned an airport, so my dad grew up there. So that was literally in his blood. That'd be like if your parents are musicians and you're growing up in Los Angeles and you go to recording studios all the time and you know all these famous musicians and it's just like, you know, close friends uh, of the family. But he, he had to slog it out. At, at IBM or, or other places doing business things, wearing the suit and tie. He was not flying. Yeah. He flew a little bit on the side, but kind of he sacrificed what he loved to support his family. And I think the reason I mention all that is my parents from the very beginning always said, do what you love, you know, n- not to a fault. Don't say, you know, I love um, walking in the woods, so I'm not going to have a job. And, you know, they, they were realistic. Do what you love, but be realistic about it. So I took, like I played in the handbell choir at school when I was in elementary school, and I took some piano lessons and things like that. Um, in middle school, my dad played the drums in high school and, and guitar, and my mom played piano and, and handbells. But we weren't a, a musical family. It wasn't like they were walking around with the guitar. or they, they were kind of overdoing all that when I was growing up. But we did have a real piano in the house, which was great. And, and a couple, an old guitar. So I was teaching myself those things and taking some lessons. And then I got a drum set for, you know, $300 or something when I lived in South Florida and started taking lessons there. And my parents were supporting me the whole time, of course. And I was also doing like acting and dance. I took dance lessons for nine years. Oh, nice. Um, I got into tap and just loved it because of the rhythm. I was going to say, you really do love rhythm, don't you? I do, yeah. It was just one of those, you know, that's whole like tapping, like you're just basically playing the drums with your feet. It was yeah. really cool. But um, in middle school, in sixth grade, I wanted to play drum set, and we went to the local music place, and this amazing guy named Will said, okay, you can play drum set. I'll teach you. I'll teach you to play this. And he plays some super cool stuff on the drums. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's what I want to do. And he hands me a pair of drumsticks and hands me this book. And he said, the first thing you're going to do is spend a year learning how to play snare drum and learning how to read music. 
and if you're still around after that, I'll teach you drum set. Oh, wow, nice. And I was like, oh, um, okay. And he said, and you're not even going to play snare drum. And he handed me a practice pad. He said, you're going to play on the practice pad for the first six months. <laughs> <laughs> but see, this this guy also taught like uh, private lessons for woodwind players. Um, like he, he played flute and clarinet, and he was kind of a, a really great musician in general. And yeah. he understood the limits of just being a drummer and you know maybe i don't need to read music man you know just give me the beat he he didn't want that at all so i was in middle school learning all the music and all the all the stuff that was at the time very boring but literally became the foundation of music for the rest of my life so then i learned i got to do drum set i went into high school and I was taking lessons on snare drum, and I was taking vibraphone lessons, and timpani lessons, and more drum set lessons, piano lessons, singing in the choir, playing in some bands, playing bass guitar, playing drums, playing keyboards, like literally anything I could get my hands on. And this was all pre-internet, you know. Um, Man, when did you sleep? I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do. I didn't do a lot of sleeping. I mean, yeah, I was in the marching band and the pep band and the. You know, I was in the everything. And actually, my band director in high school is essentially my best friend now. He was just over here at the studio yesterday, and we were working on something together. He lives in town, and he was. it was his first year teaching, so we're like 10 years apart. And I've done some podcast uh, stuff um, on YouTube, I mean, some videos on YouTube with him before. His name's Alan Atkinson, and he's another great inspiration for me because he's got perfect pitch he knows all about the cool stuff that I don't know, jazz and funk and all those neat harmonies. Nice. So I'm always trying to learn more and just, you know, how how can I improve myself as a musician today? Well, yeah, that's the goal, right? I mean, I suppose you never stop learning. Exactly. It, it's the blessing and the curse. Um, there was a cartoon I think I saw on social media where one person came up to the other person and said, look, I made a thing. And the other person goes, this is amazing. And the first person goes, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like it was cool, but I think I could do this and I think I could do that. I think I could make it better. And the second person says, oh, you have the creative curse. Congratulations. It means, you know, whatever you do, the next day, you're going to feel like you need to do it better. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It is. <laughs> so it all stems from rhythm and drumming and when did that first become like your core from that into going, okay, I want to write music. Like you learn all these instruments, you're in all the bands, you're playing it all. When did you first go, do you know what? I want to create all of this for film and games, for example. Well, I, in college, I started as an education major because uh, Alan Atkinson, who I mentioned, my band director from high school, he was a real big inspiration for me. And I literally looked at him and thought, that's what I want to do. Nice. But one of the first classes I had to take was trumpet, which is like the worst methods class you could take. Start with, you know, saxophone, something easier. And I realized literally about five minutes into the class that there was no way I was going to be able to put that mouthpiece on my lips and like do that vibrating thing. It was like nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah. And my professor who taught percussion at school, I went to Appalachian State here in North Carolina, the professor who was teaching me percussion, which was sort of my instrument, also uh, was the composition professor. And he also taught the steel band and the African music ensemble and the um, Mideastern ensemble and the electronic music ensemble. So I literally just fell into everything that he was teaching. He sort of became my Alan Atkinson 2.0 nice. for college. And... Um, Originally, it was going to be doing kind of what he did, you know, teaching college and teach composition. 
But it was then, it was like early 90s that I started getting some CDs because CDs weren't as prevalent in the late 80s as they were in the early 90s. Oh, no, And I could order, they had soundtrack CDs you could order, like through Columbia House um, or BMG, those music mail services back in the day. Oh, right, yeah. Because you couldn't just, you know, you can't just pop online and go, oh, I want to listen to the new soundtrack to XYZ. There was no, literally no way to do it other than blindly buying it. But I started getting things like... um, you know, like at the time, the big movies that were out then, Jurassic Park, or there was a Danny Elfman compilation CD, um, oh, Music awesome. for a Darkened Theater, that had a bunch of his um, different films on there. So I was listening to stuff like that, and I think it was maybe my junior year. I thought, you know, I think I want to do music for film or for, for TV. It seems like that would be a lot more fun than teaching other people how to write music. Yeah. And my professor didn't didn't like that. He he thought I should do something legit, quote unquote. <laughs> the classic. Yeah, it was. It was. And I, I loved I loved helping people. And I love now I think the only thing second to me learning more and improving myself and being a better musician is helping other people who maybe haven't experienced what I've experienced, kind of helping them maybe improve a little bit or be better musicians. So I, I love the idea of teaching, but I love the idea of writing music more. And I went to uh, USC here in the States, University of Southern California. They have a big film and TV program. Yeah. And through that, I ended up meeting another student who had graduated a couple of years earlier and literally found myself six weeks into the program deciding whether I should go to class that morning or write music for this, you know, really bad reality TV show that I had a chance <laughs> to write music for. So I was skipping class and writing music for TV. This is mid 90s, so reality TV was just sort yeah, of it's very new. becoming a thing. Yeah. It was. It was. And I did that for a couple of years, but the LA scene was not really my thing. Um I didn't I didn't particularly like the people I was dealing with. I was sort of down, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole. And I just decided to come home. And I spent five years back here in North Carolina making local contacts and getting business and doing work. And I was doing, I mean, I'd record radio spots for politicians. I'd record bands. I was writing library music, just staying really, really busy. And through all those contacts, ended up finding out that there was a game that needed some music. And I thought, well, I could do music for you. you know, what kind of music do you need? And it was sort of the opposite experience of everything I had experienced in L.A., we would do the guy I worked for did the Intel logo, you know the dun 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 dun. Oh yeah, it's like yeah, he wrote that. No way, that's awesome. I know it was very cool, and I think at the time it was the Pentium Three Intel logo, and we would do hundreds of variations of this logo, or we'd do a commercial for Honda, and there'd be forty or fifty different versions of this thirty-second commercial, and it was just it was like music by factory line you know yeah. just change this one thing and then give me a variation that does this and I, I wasn't i was happy to be working but i wasn't really feeling it not fulfilled yeah all that music by committee and and all frustrating things and people changing their minds and all that stuff games were the complete opposite they just said hey we need like 45 minutes of music in the next three or four weeks, do you think you could send that to us? <laughs> and everything I sent, they they loved. And it was it was literally like the sky opened up, the clouds parted, 
you know, our rainbow came out, the choir sang, and <laughs> I was thinking, man, this music for games is really, really fun. I feel so creatively liberated. I want to keep doing this. And that was in about 1999 or 2000, I think, that I jumped in wholeheartedly and sort of never looked back. Right. And what game was that? The very first one that I was working on uh, was a game called... Oh, oh, that's right. It was the King Arthur game, which was based on a film that was coming out at the same time. Right. Um, that was the first one where I sort of had a lot of minutes. There were other games that I'd worked on sort of in additional capacity, like helping with arrangements or uh, maybe scoring cinematics. But that was the first one that was sort of mine. And uh, I was directly liaising with the audio director and it was just like complete. I mean, it wasn't complete freedom. I wasn't using, you know, kazoos and ukulele to underscore King Arthur. I was doing what was appropriate, <laughs> but within the creative boundary of the IP, I was completely free to write whatever I wanted, and I loved it. Yeah, that must have been quite a fresh take for you after working in commercials, especially. Oh my gosh! I mean, you think about it. You spend we would spend six or seven weeks on a thirty-second commercial. Oh my god! And in three and a half weeks, I'd written forty-five minutes of music. <laughs> yeah, it's completely different, and. When did you first start? Because, I mean, you know, let's talk about the Tomb Raider soundtrack, for example. It's very, very interactive, and it's very, you know, it changes based on the on the player's method, basically, on how they decide to play the game. Right. When was the first time you fully started to realize the potential of that and started to think, oh, wow, I can even have this change? The first really interactive score that I did was Dead Space, and I've got to give kudos to Don Vecca, who was the audio director at the time, because he just literally took the, the game audio engine they had written, that, that EA had written for The Godfather, which had come out maybe the year before, yeah. and they just appropriated the engine itself for Dead Space. And since it was scary, we basically were able to take just four stereo tracks of music that were playing all the time and just turn them up and down depending on sort of the mechanics of the gameplay. And that was the first time I had access to that kind of technology because before that because i started working on it like 2005 and the game came out in 2008 oh wow. so any games before that it was just stereo tracks and stingers that was all they needed because that was all they could really implement either because of technology or simply because of time they didn't have the resources yeah, sure. or the bandwidth to do anything really interactive and with Dead Space, it sort of opened up the world to me. And I, I started pushing after that whenever I'd get on a new game. Like, hey, what can we do to make it interactive? And how can we do this? And how can we do that? And the the horror genre is more of just all happy, happy accidents. Oh, yeah. Something jumps out, you, a stinger plays, and you turn up the really scary track. And whatever portion of this four-minute track that plays when the stinger is cued, it's going to be scary. And it's going to work in, in one way or the other. With Tomb Raider, we had a, a fairly limited budget in terms of the scope of the music, simply because I was the first external composer to be brought in in, I'm not sure how many years. Uh, the audio director or maybe the people implementing the audio were writing music as well, so the composer was on staff. Oh, wow. Which is a great thing to have because you know you can do corrections or you can say, hey, we need an extra 10 minutes of music. And it doesn't really matter. They're getting paid the same no matter what. Yeah. But when you start charging and adding up music by the minute, they had a lot less music budgeted than I felt comfortable for, number one, a game of that scope. And number two, 
a game of of that sort of title, right? I mean, it's Tomb Raider. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest video games known to man. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. And I worked really closely with Alex Wilmer, who was uh, not the audio lead per se, but he was the one basically implementing all the music. And many trips out there to visit them, and he came out to visit me as well. And I clearly remember there was an E3 demo that we were going to be doing. We were maybe halfway through the game. And we had been working interactively. I mean, I would, I would send what I would call checkerboarded stems. So if you, if you looked at just the audio data, the audio data would be checkerboarded where there would be data and then there would be no data. And it would literally be, you know, the flutes and then the low woodwinds, let's say. And they would sort of be bouncing back and forth from each other. So you had kind of handles where you could edit things if you needed to, or you could take the 28 or 30 stems that I sent, mute half of them, and everything kind of ebbs and flows still. It doesn't sound like the, okay, music is starting now, and there's something like going constantly all the time. Yeah, like it flows. Yeah, it it has a, a natural flow to it, and I think coming from film and TV, just the few years I did in Los Angeles, I was very... And being such a huge film music and classical music fan, I'm always hearing like the music being a lot more dramatic in a let's say a, a conventional combat loop or a conventional exploration loop for a game. Yeah. Than you would maybe see if you were if you were playing the game, because to me it kind of all went back to those happy accidents in Dead Space where. It's just like it seems like it's perfect the way the music plays when it gets triggered and all it's really doing is just, you know, pumping up the scary track and turning down the really quiet, creepy track. So I love the idea of that push and pull and lots of dynamics and it sounds like you're listening to a film score and the music starts building. You're just walking around, but the music starts building and then it sort of dies away real quick and you've subconsciously been in a state of increased tension as the music's been building even if you're just walking around because sometimes it'll build and it'll actually trigger something you know kind of like a red herring thing yeah yeah like it completely throws the player exactly and it, it just helps tell the story i feel like so that was a big part of it was we already had some interactive things but there was this e3 demo i think it was one of the times when she's doing some sliding down ropes you know different ways of going from one rope to the other and folks are shooting at her and she can miss the rope and she can die and yeah it was something like oh we've got 30 seconds of music we can use according to the budget and it was maybe a minute and 10 second long sort of escalating series of in-game cinematics and you know rising tension and everything else and i just said to alex look let's just pretend like we have whatever budget we need what do we need to do to score this correctly so that it really feels right and emotionally has the kind of weight that we're looking for because we want this to work for E3. This is a really important scene. We need to make it sound great. So we worked together and, you know, little tiny pieces of music all cut up and different things would trigger different segments and it, it worked perfectly. And after that, that's sort of how we treated the rest of the game. <laughs> sort of like, I don't care. I don't care. Okay, sure. How many minutes do we have for this little thing where she's fighting? There isn't any. I was like, great. Let's do a four-minute loop with uh, <laughs> you know, 20 levels. Because <laughs> it needed to work. The last thing I wanted in this new kickoff, you know, introducing the character kind of game is for you to progress 
to a different level or you know move on to know, the next stage of something and then just have the music repeat the same thing that it already did five minutes ago yeah it just loops yeah i did um what was it called flushed away i did a lot of movie tie-in games early in my career i mentioned that that first big one for me was king arthur and i also did yeah. flushed away and i was so excited when the game came out and they sent, you know, they sent me a copy and some swag and stuff and I started playing and they only had something like 20 minutes of music for the score budgeted period. And it wasn't a very long game, but you know, 20 minutes was a little short, but I I was playing the game and you're in the kitchen is this rat, you know, running around. And I spent about five or six minutes listening to the same like 50 second loop. Oh my God. (laughs) But the point is to, you know, to do something to trigger it so you can open the door and then you go into the next room. And so I did it and I'm like, yes. And I'm, I'm waiting for whatever music is going to come. And it, I got to the next room and it showed this reveal and a little cinematic and everything. And you start walking around and what does it play? The same. The exact same music that was playing in the previous room. Oh no. And I was scarred for life. I mean, I was like, I would have written for free another piece because now people are going to, number one, feel like they're not advancing emotionally through the game. Number two, they're going to get tired of the music and think, like, can't I just turn this off? It's just playing the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, I have to admit, as much as I love video game music, even I've been there on games that do that because you just, after so long of hearing the same loop, you just can't help it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. And, and I get it. You know, budgets aren't what they should be. And I understand some of these games can be 10, 20, 30 hours of gameplay. We're not going to do 30 hours of music. But, man, we sure can take what we have and and string it out and it, so what started with tomb raider basically got expanded with dead space i think i did three and a half hours for tomb raider and i think alex told me he had about 12 or 14 hours of score that was extrapolated from that in the game wow and anyway if you think about it i think it was maybe 20 20 hours of gameplay and it wasn't music all the time no but no. the music didn't repeat and if it looped, it was pre-baked to loop with something different happening. So you never really got that, okay, I've been fighting these people for five minutes and I'm hearing the same music over and over and over. But with that, uh, with Until Dawn, um, it was actually even more stacked, lots more stems, less music, technically speaking, like in terms of minutes. But I think we ended up getting 17 or 18 hours out of the score of which was, you know, 90 minutes of music. Oh, wow. That's awesome. But it was it was really more like three times that, you know, 90 times three because we had, I mean, variations of stems and, you know, different things playing different melodies. And it, it's like every time I do this, I just get more excited about the potential and basically tell a developer, let me know when I'm giving you too much um, because I'm going to get really granular with this. And they never say that, because they can always go back. They need a little moment to do something. They can pick out a little stem from here or there, and they've got everything isolated, and anything to help the gameplay, right? you got to oh, yeah, make the course. gameplay work. Well, it's about the player's experience, isn't it? And like you say, when you've got the stems, like you can at least add something different every time. Like Even if you're using the same stuff, you can at least recycle it in a varied way. Yes, and I was... I would do, you know, shakers. I mean, something as simple as shakers, which I've got a bajillion of. I'd literally do like six different shaker tracks. None of them to be played all at the same time. Just sometimes, 
you know, change the underscore a little bit and go from the violas to the cellos and change out the shaker and put in some flutes and you've just got a, a magical new quiet exploration that sounds like a completely different piece. Yeah. But it's not. And, and it is a catch, you know, it's a catch-22. Yes, I'm sort of writing myself into a corner and giving them more music than, I guess, technically speaking, they're paying me for. But I've never really been a, uh, you know... I don't really care about money. I'll just go ahead and say that. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, you know, I want to write music and I want the music to sound great. And it's really more selfish than than anything else. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I got a mortgage. I got a family. And obviously I want to be able to support them doing what I love, but not at the expense of, uh, you know, emotionally tethering the game players experience and it's it's the music should be enhancing it not the opposite it shouldn't be pulling it down yeah and it's it's kind of representing you as well so obviously you care about the music you're getting into the game and the way it's perceived by other people so you know you don't want to make all this really awesome music and then it's not giving the awesome experience to the player at the same time exactly and i will say that i also have the incredible benefit of a wonderful agent um cheryl tiano who always looks out for my best interests and literally refuses to allow me to even talk about money or budget <laughs> so she's gonna listen to this and be like oh my god jason <laughs> i know no yeah she'll, she'll probably uh not be very happy about that but see if i'm mentioning her then she's my safeguard and she's the reason that i can say i'm not concerned about budget or i don't care about money because i don't have to deal with it yeah i'm true. blissfully ignorant yeah exactly she'll be on the phone going okay so jason doesn't care but we do kind of care about money uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I mean, she would say, she would say, it's not his job to be concerned about the budget. It's his job to be concerned about the creative side of things. And and that's what I love. I've been true. with her for 12 or 13 years now. So I'm I'm to the point of complete and total blissful ignorance. Oh, man, that's the dream. Just like, I won't worry about that. That's yeah. someone else's problem. I'm just going to write the music and do my thing. And <laughs> so... You had all these like really creative projects, right? You had like Tomb Raider, you had Until Dawn, you had Dead Space. That I mean, they're all amazing. I have to say, the, the soundtracks are incredible. Oh and well, thank all you. All the stuff you've done has been awesome. But now you're on the Dark Pictures. What has all that built towards? What has that? You know, how has that changed the way you write music, and what does that mean for your future projects? Every project, um, it, it's like in my head. There's this Venn diagram, you know, the the diagrams that have the circles with the interconnecting parts where they all overlap each other. Um, And in the diagram, we've got three circles, which one of which is what does the game need? Uh, Another one is what can I do to improve myself? How can I how can I learn from whatever it is that the game needs? Yeah. And then the third one is more like what's going to keep me happy and keep me creatively satisfied because sometimes there's some really cool stuff i could do from a technical standpoint but um maybe i don't have time or maybe uh the schedule is too tight in terms of implementation the developer doesn't have enough time yeah so a lot of it you know those three things intersecting is is how i kind of come to everything as far as instrument choice and style moss is a great example it's a vr game I did a couple of years ago, and you're kind of playing with this little tiny mouse, and she's 
sort of guiding you through this forest and it's it's VR and like castle ruins and all these things and you're seeing everything from her perspective. So I thought it was a great idea to use a lot of really small instruments and as many live instruments as possible. So after after I was um after I went to the meeting, flew out to Seattle and saw Polyarch and the amazing game that they were putting together, I came home and just emptied out all of my storage bins to see how many little instruments I could find. And I had, you know, lots of little shakers and a ukulele and uh, a nice high string guitar and just anything that was small, um, little tiny drums. And And now I'm imagining you playing tiny drums, which sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I even played the, played the desk just like, you know, tapping, tapping on the desk because it was a real, a real small sound, but that score and sort of the, almost medieval kind of quality to the harmony, the timelessness that I was trying to achieve with the music was a direct influence from the timelessness of the game and the world and and the character, Quill, that you didn't play as, you kind of played as, but you were also in the game with her. Like she saw you as a separate entity. So it was a very wonderful bond between the player and Quill. And that was everything I was trying to do with the music. That's why we had all live musicians, um, not just me, other musicians as well. You know, it wasn't a a MIDI score or an electronic score. So you mentioned Dark Pictures and with Man and Medan, it was the exact same thing. It takes place on the ocean. And you're in a boat in the middle of nowhere. It's not like you can call 911 or run next door to your neighbors. So I was trying to tap into sort of that isolation and panic you might feel if another boat pulls up. And it's sort of like, you know, no one's going to see this and call the cops. There's literally no one around. And I also loved the the tide and the waves. I don't know why, but... Um, the kind of the idea of three, either either something in three four or something with a triplet kind of meter, always reminds me of the ocean, or at least of pirates. And most of the time, it's in a bad way. If I ever wrote anything in three or with triplets, it always just sounded like bad pirate music <laughs> um, to, to to me. So I've sort of avoided it. I mean, I've done it a couple of times, but I staunchly avoid any sort of triple meter time. And I decided for Amanda Medan that it was time to to put that to rest and I would just do the whole score in three, which is what I ended up doing. So nice. See that's one of the creative circles of the Venn diagram that really has nothing to do with serving the game unless other people associate three with the ocean. But for me it was a wonderful creative way of learning and trying something different and you know, someone hears the interview and then they go back and listen. They're like, wow, it is all in three. And then I had some two against three for the themes, kind of, you know, for the um, the conflict uh, musically interpreted and things like that. But other than that, it was mostly orchestra yeah. from Man of Medan um, because it was a current, you know, current time. And I always think of like La Mer with Debussy and the big orchestra kind of sound and waves crashing on the rocks. So that was not pirates. <laughs> Anything <laughs> was, but pirates. I think I think I I know. I think I even wrote after I got off the phone with, with Barney, I was like three four question mark and I wrote not pirate and like underlined it like five times because that was my you know, my personal mantra. <laughs> yeah, just anything but pirate. It's three four, but don't worry, I'm not pirating. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so that was Manamidan, which um as you said is set on a ship um and it's set on the ocean however 
the next episode, the Little Hope is, or is it just Little Hope? Sorry, Little Hope is the the town. I've only got the trailer to go by at the end of Manimo Down, right? So I don't know too much right. about this. Um, I can only make assumptions that it's sort of witchy related ish. I don't know. I could be wrong, but what differs in that score and what can you say are you allowed to talk about a little hope no that's the trick i don't uh, the the universal game composer answer is if you say i don't know or i'm not sure that basically means no i'm not allowed to talk about it <laughs> um that's probably something that is going to be better served once the game comes out i'm pretty sure okay well i will assume that little hope shall remain a mystery to us until its release <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. So um, in that case, I am curious about your usual process um, when you first start on a project. Now, you've mentioned that you start with rhythm most of the time. So do you literally sit there and go, okay, what what rhythmic pattern do I want to define this game with? Or does it vary from project to project? You know, you've just got the project. Okay, we need this amount of music. Off you go. Each project is definitely different. And I know universally, and now if it's an action track, I probably am sitting down and thinking, what tempo do I want this to be? And, um, you know, it's either going to be string driven or like drum, percussion, electronic, pulsing driven. And I'll figure out an interesting rhythm for whatever instrument the kind of basis of the the action is. Yeah. I'll figure something out for that. But a lot of times it's it's more of just a general tempo you know, do I want it to be slow or fast? Or if it's a theme, you know, is it supposed to be a tense theme or a dramatic theme or a relaxing theme? And then I'm I'm going to chords and um, figuring out, you know, is it going to be major or minor? Uh, a lot of times it's minor, unfortunately, just because it needs to be dramatic. But yeah. a big thing, like for Moss, for example, I knew from the beginning that I wanted it to be Dorian, which is this like my favorite version of minor. So it, it is minor, but there's a chord in there that normally would be minor. And in the Dorian mode, it's major. Well, and it okay. has this beautiful sense of magic and wonderment. And I mean, from the very beginning of the first track, all I'm doing is going between these two chords, the, the, the normal minor chord, and then the chord you would expect to be minor, but now is major. And to me, that set the tone of the entire score that sort of harmony and then the rhythm came in when i was working on the melody itself i wanted something like da 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 that sort of has that scottish kind of snap to it yeah cuz i love the idea of that timelessness of music that dates way back to before we were all alive yeah. but people <laughs> recognize it kind of internally instantly right it just has a sort of appeal to it so rhythmically with melodies definitely i'm hearing rhythms or a pattern of some kind before i'm actually hearing the notes and then i throw the chords over these rhythms and then kind of end up picking out notes from those chords based on the rhythm i'm hearing in my head which is you know a much longer and more detailed answer than probably anyone cares to know but no no i find it really fascinating that's how i do it i think (laughs) (laughs) in-depth answers is what we want they're awesome and so i'm just finding it fascinating to be honest how you sit there you come up with the rhythm and then you're okay what what melody am i going to apply to this rhythm and so you picked dorian in this example for for moss um and with something else how do you decide what 
melodic range you want to go with like obviously dorian you said had a magical feel so is that that's kind of why you chose it for moss right Yes, and the melody range was easy for that because I knew the very first thing I did for Moss was I wrote the song, which is the last track on the original soundtrack called Home to Me. Right. I, I wrote I wrote that purely as the uh, me, what can I do to learn kind of por- portion of the Venn diagram. The, the developer didn't ask for a song. I just wanted to write one. I'd never written a song before, and I knew I wanted Maluka to sing the song for me because I loved her voice. And she was she was actually supposed to sing on Far Cry Primal. Oh, right. They had these three tribes, and I was recording everything live, and uh, the third tribe was supposed to be sort of this mystical, magical kind of, uh, you know, primal sort of, in caveman terms, sound. Hmm. So I was doing like the, the minor minor chords and very mysterious, and I had her singing this beautiful sort of low register thing which is the first time I got to work with her. And then they changed the game and they came back and basically said, we want them to be as scary as possible. You can do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh man, I thought I like had a shot to not do scary. So it changed. Yeah, you're going in going, ooh, not scary. This will be great. <laughs> exactly. So I, I Skyped with Maluka and I was like, look, you did a great job, but can you scream for me instead? And she was like, what? <laughs> I said, you know, like do some war cries and some screaming. And I think she felt very much out of her comfort zone, but she did such an incredible job. I would oftentimes write the music around the performances that she would give me. So to pay her back for all of her, you know, throat hurting, (laughs) just (laughs) like cool stuff that she was doing. I I wanted to get her to sing this song on Moss for me. And we Skyped a couple of times and I picked the right key for her. And I picked a melody that kind of went as low as she felt comfortable and then just dipped up a little bit where she could slip into her falsetto once or twice. But that was all very strictly based on on her and her vocal range. And she turned around at the end and was like, you're not going to call me again in a week and ask me to scream on this track, right? <laughs> yeah, I need you to. Uh, this is now a death metal song, Maluka. Could you maybe do some? <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Amazing. <laughs> So I have to ask as well, actually, speaking of Far Cry Primal, as a drummer and a rhythm enthusiast, <laughs> had to be kind of your element, surely. Yes, it, it was. And I, I only I only hesitate because, um, you know, that, that learning portion of the Venn diagram, I'm just going to keep hitting that example over and over and over. But We're going to have to put a picture of a Venn diagram below the podcast. I know. I knew what I wanted to do um, when I did the demo, which ended up being 12 or 14 minutes long. I knew I wanted to record everything live, and I didn't want to use any material that couldn't have been found back then during the Stone Age. Yeah. Because to me, it's all about restrictions. Uh, That's why I loved knowing Maluka's vocal range. That would give me a restriction for the the range of the melody. And I love the idea of thinking, okay, I'm going to have most of these things in Dorian. So now I've got my harmonic restrictions. Or I'm going to be writing just in three for Man and Medan. Now I have my sort of um, rhythm restrictions. And it helps me be more creative if if I have boundaries. But I think it also helps the music that I make within those boundaries hopefully sound more unique within each title so that you know, Man of Medan doesn't sound just like Dead Space or doesn't sound just like yeah. Until Dawn. And with Far Cry, I wanted it to be... The developers always say, and this is no fault of their own, 
that they want the score to be instantly recognizable as their score within five seconds of hearing the music. Wow. And that's a very daunting task. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, especially if you haven't been hired yet and they're just asking you for a demo. You don't even really know a lot about the game. You know, maybe you've got some spreadsheets and some concept art. (laughs) Come on. So for me, restrictions are always the best. And for Far Cry, all live and nothing with any metal. It's pre-Bronze Age, like no instruments. I mean, I was... And all these sounds that I came up with for the demo, I ended up using in the final game. So you can still hear them in the official soundtrack. But I was... I mean, literally, like r- rubbing two bricks together, you know, stirring dirt in a in a big, um, like a giant pestle and mortar, um, grinding like rhythmically, nice. or uh, you know, wood flutes, bone flutes, um, any sort of uh, plants. I've bought a bunch of plants at the kind of local hardware store and literally set up this kind of prehistoric drum set and mic'd it just like you would drums with overheads and spot mics and. That was kind of my rhythm section. Oh, cool. Um, so rhythmically speaking, absolutely, I was totally in my element. But sonically speaking, I was in the deep end, drowning. <laughs> or at least that's what it felt like, because I was trying so many uncharted things. You, you just sit there, and you're rubbing a brick together, and you're thinking, this is the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> Why am I? They're not going to like this. I had Getting weird looks in the hardware store, buying all the plants, and they're like, what is this guy doing? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm shaking them. Like, I'm shaking the plants and putting my ear up to them. I'm buying, um, ter- you know, terracotta, like the kind of reddish terracotta pots all that you pots. put plants in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm holding them up with my pinky in the little hole where their water drains. I'm holding them upside down, and I'm tapping them, and I'm finding some that are, like, minor thirds apart or something, and everyone's like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, as your partner, like, you okay, honey? Like, you <laughs> 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 buying stuff from the hardware store and just hitting things. Now they they've grown up with me. My, I've got two girls and my my wife. So all I have to do is go in the house and go. Who wants to go to the hardware store to find some caveman instruments? And everyone's like me. And then we're running around, and they're bringing me things, too. It's, you know, it's like a family ordeal, basically. Right. So they only need to worry when you're not hitting record anymore. That's the point where they're like, okay, right. now we worry. Right. Like when, when they find me crying in the corner, then there's a problem. Yes. Just slowly tapping a brick. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> Well, it really is. I I, I honestly feel like if I'm not like 50% terrified of what I'm doing, then I feel like I'm really not pushing enough because I I have yet, you think you would learn. I don't know how many games I've done, but you think that my, my brain would tell myself, this is a good thing. You should keep doing this. But literally, every time at the beginning of a project, like 50% is just terrified that it's not going to work or that they're going to hate it or that I'm going to hate it or something bad, basically. And yeah. it always ends up being fine. You know, it, it, it bends, it's more than fine. I thought with Far Cry, they would say, this is, we need like real music, Jason. This is <laughs> not... not- Pots and, and they told plants, me, man. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I got a conch shell, uh, literally a like a, it's just a big conch shell with the end cut off. And I had Alan Atkinson, my band director and musical BFF, now came over and played it for me. And um, I dropped it like an octave and put a giant reverb on it, and that's how I started the demo. And Ubisoft nice. told me within three seconds, three seconds of hearing my twelve-minute demo, they knew that. I was the one they wanted to hire because it's it's Alan going this like, 
sounds like a, a mammoth cry or something, but it was a conch shell. Um, that's the sort of thing that I thought that they would hate, and usually the stuff that I'm pushing uncomfortably because I feel like it's too different. Yeah, the developers love it. You know, the the more the more unique and the more experimental and kind of the more sonic identity I can get with these different scores, the more they love it and the more I love it. So that's why I'm always pushing to be in that 50% terrified position. So you live your life 50% terrified is what you're telling me. I guess uh, in the studio, yes. You know, the, the last the last third of the score is always the most fun to do because everything, like the kinks have all been worked out. You've got your sound palette. Uh, you know, you you you, get, you you understand the story. You've got a vibe for the way everything feels, and you can just sort of freely create without all the emotional crisis that you, um, or at least that I, end up giving myself all the time. But that's the whole cliche of the artist, right? Yeah, of course. We're we're always doubting ourselves and trying to do something better. Awesome. So I have to ask as well. In other news, you're a judge at the Game Audio Awards next week at the time of this recording. Yes, I am. Man, that was such a great experience, being able to listen to all that music and also see it and hear it in the context of the game through the YouTube links. Very, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And so what was that process like for you in terms of, like, have you judged before? And what was it like judging other people's music? It's actually been a while since I've done any judging. Early in gang's history the game audio network guild i was on the panel of judges and you didn't have the online access that we do now so literally yeah you would get a box of games and soundtracks and you would a lot of times it was just a box of games so you were responsible for playing through the games and sort of figuring out how the music worked nowadays i love that so many soundtracks are available in actual soundtrack form and you know what really struck me with Almost every single one, I, I, I can't think of any exceptions, was just how far we've come with the production quality of music for games. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not just about the implementation and how many layers you can have, but the fact that um, you don't have to have this AAA blockbuster game to have live musicians. And I really love that sound of live musicians playing and I think I put this on one of the comments because it was a it was a smaller sort of chamber score. There were a couple of those actually that I really really loved, and there was a soloist. There was just a, there was a note that was just slightly out of tune. Nothing that if I played it for my wife she wouldn't have even noticed. Right. But what yeah. I loved about it is you could tell it was a real person, and I I think I wrote in the comments I would rather hear you know. Um, a less than perfect performance. And by no means was this a bad performance at all, but it was a human performance. I would rather hear a human performance of this music than a, than a pitch-perfect, quantized, dare I even say robotic, computerized version of this music. Mm. I've, I've always been such a fan of the human aspect of making music, and I heard so much of that in all of these tracks. I mean, there was even some pianos and things that I had a hard time telling. I swear one of them was a live piano. Um, virtual instruments have come a long way. And for keyboards, sometimes you can get away with it. But yeah, even, even then, you know, there's a certain emotion associated, especially with piano, because it's been around for so long. Everyone knows what a piano sounds like. I just really enjoyed all of the entries. 
Yeah, I mean, it must have been so nice to be on that side for for a change, right? You know, to actually be able to just listen and critique and kind of experience other people's scores. I got to say, it was a pleasure to do it. And the hardest thing about it was then having to find some sort of an order, you know, list them from first to second to third, because everything I listened, it was a lot of music. Some of it, they had complete soundtracks. And I spent a couple of days, whenever I wasn't working, I would have one of the soundtracks in the background playing. And I would just have it on loop. So I would end up listening to that soundtrack maybe three or four times throughout that one day. Yeah, And it got to the point, I would re- I would recognize it. And to me, that's almost the only way you can really enjoy it is you you absorb it to the point where you recognize what it's going to be you're not just listening once music is made to be repeated you know that's the reason pop music is so incredibly popular i couldn't tell you how many times i've listened to some of my favorite pop songs so yeah it was wonderful listening to all this stuff in the background and then a bit a bit of a nightmare trying to mentally portion it out and figure out placements because all the entries were really really good yeah and that's the tricky part you've listened to all this great music and then you have to decide you know the decision is the hard part and it sounds cliche but they were all like first place as far as i'm concerned and they were all so different it's complete apples and oranges yeah yeah. beautiful chamber pieces you know abstract sort of scores big orchestral scores just yeah i love the variety yeah, and it must have been interesting to hear all the different genres, but how do you how do you even compare like when they're so different? Like how do you even try and be like, okay, well this one's slightly better because of that, but where do you start? You know what what I actually ended up doing, um this is going to be like the fourth time I'm going to mention Alan, but uh, <laughs> are you promoting Alan? Is it <laughs> I know. Well, it's I I fall back, you know, I have no ego at all when it comes to asking for help. And he was a band director for 30 years and he did all kinds of competitions as a judge. Mm. And they do blind, you know, blind player tests and things like that. And he taught me uh about 2 or 3 years ago when I had to kind of do this same sort of thing, not for game music, but for something else. Yeah. You just can't blindly say, well, I think that one's better than this one, because what if you think they're all great? So I always do, independent of all the other judges, a couple of categories like, um, you know, how's the production? Um, uh, how, how's the emotion? Is it appropriate for the game? Um, you know, just questions, three or four columns of questions. And they're always different depending on, what it is that I'm listening to. And then I give those a rating from usually from one to 10. But that way, if it's just like, well, I think this, this one's maybe a seven and this one category, and then this other entry might be more of an eight. You're not saying one's better than the other completely. You're just saying, you know, you feel like in that respect of that one little column, that one might be a little bit better. And then I add up all the numbers and just kind of see where everything falls. So I'm actually not deciding first place second place third place i'm just going with very specific kind of grades if you will yeah um within each piece and and how well it works with the game and i don't remember what criteria i use but it's a lot more objective and i think it makes it a lot easier to kind of score things when you're a little more detail oriented like that rather than just thinking i think this one might work with the game better than that one but that one I really like the chamber ensemble versus this chamber ensemble or whatever. Specifics are always good. 
Yeah, yeah, well, it's the details, you know, that help you make those decisions, as you say. And I think you have to do it that way because otherwise you'll be like, oh, my God, they're just all good. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I think when I did the first, you know, like, okay, I just want to hear the first track of everything just so I can get in my head what kind of a score this game has. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Next track. Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Next track. Oh, man, that's cool. And I was thinking. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> They're all cool. <laughs> Amazing. Well, at the time of recording, um, they are coming up this weekend. So it's on March 6th, and we're very excited to hear the results. But at the time of release, it would already have been and gone. So, you know, basically time travel right now is going to happen. That's what I'm saying. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> So I have one more final question, and I'm pretty sure what the answer is going to be, but I have to ask anyway, what's coming up for you, Jason Graves? What else have you got coming soon? Oh, all kinds of fun things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was expecting. <laughs> now, it's, um, games are always, and I know you've experienced this before, games are always very secretive. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I'm pretty sure... And we'll just go ahead and cut this if this isn't the case. But I'm pretty sure that Ready at Dawn announced Lone Echo 2 and tagged me about doing music for it. So I Ooh. can say that I'm working on the music for the sequel to Lone Echo, which I did the music for the original one. And it was a lot of fun, also featuring Maluka on the first one. Um, I'm gearing up for that score, which is going to be a lot of fun in games. But all the other games, yeah, they're... They're really secretive, um, and it's. I think it's fine. It's for the benefit of the IP, and they want to make as big of a splash as they can. But I do have to say, when a game does come out, I almost feel like I'm going to get a, a dart in the neck when I'm talking about it because I'm yeah, so know, right? schooled <laughs> and not talking about it that it feels wrong that I'm actually mentioning it. But that's just that's just the nature of games. Yeah, I had the same thing. Like it's you kind of get so into that thing of like, okay, I have this information, but I, I don't, I can't tell anyone. And then even when the game comes out, you're like, uh, I'm cool to say this, right? And they're like, yeah, the game's out, and you're like, yeah, I know, but I, I, I just kind of want to check. <laughs> Better safe than sorry, that's for sure. There's there's other fun things I'm doing outside of games. Um, I've got some TV shows. I'm working with some composers in Los Angeles. Um, just finished Project Blue Book season two, which I worked on the first season and the second season with Daniel Wall. We both basically wrote the whole score for every every episode, and we just wrapped episode ten for Amazing. the second season, which was super cool. It's like this it's like this fifties throwback kind of sci fi thing. So that's a lot of fun to do. Oh wow, that does sound fun. Yeah, you know, funny thing. They um, I think literally what happened was Daniel and I have the same agent. And he asked Cheryl if she knew anyone that was comfortable with scary music and familiar with TV. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know someone. <laughs> yeah. But it's all Amazing. fun, you know, doing that and doing yeah, some course. library stuff and some trailer things and, you know, just keeping busy on all fronts. Excellent to hear. Well, I have to say it's been an absolute delight having you on the show today, Jason, and we'd love to have you back anytime in the future. You had some really great questions that were really, really fun to go through. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. And you had some excellent answers to back them up with. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thanks again, Jason. Okay. See you later, Sam. <laughs> 